This is our point with Zach and Carmen. Hello. Girl, it has been a day. It's like coming back to work from vacation and like... You have a situation, do you? Oh, my God. My computer doesn't work. And then I thought I hadn't been entering my password correctly, you know, but then I like redid it 400 times and it still didn't work. So then I had to get the help desk involved. And then they were like, your password's fine. What's not working? And then I realized... (laughs) Then my motherfucking keyboard is broken. That's weird. How did your keyboard break? Did you take it on vacation with you? Well, I might have watched Jurassic Park on it in the tent where it rained, but I don't think it, I mean, like the tent inside didn't get rained on. I don't know. It was in my backpack. It seems weird that like really only four keys aren't working. So if somebody can decipher my password, like Nicolas Cage on (laughs) National Treasure, here you go. But the G isn't working, and the L isn't working, and one of like the comma buttons and enter isn't working. So, well, they're all in the same line on the keyboard. I know. So it's 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 interesting. We have not gotten to the bottom of it, but it did require me to go to work and get first off talk to the IT people who always make you feel so dumb. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like they just are so judgy. I'm sure those people are bad at pop culture and knowing things about RuPaul. Um, and I when bet, they ask me questions, true. we all have different skills. It's we right. all have different skills. They need to watch the judgment because I was born prepared to dish it back at them. But then I also deleted all of the files off of my computer. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I just gave up. I'm drinking. I'm drinking booze. Like I've already. That was unrelated to the other problem, right? This is, these are two separate problems that you had today. Well, they're just like all kind of connected. It's just like technology fails. Zach's technology fail day. So it's a real it happens bummer. to all of us. I know. And then I had a phone call with somebody and I started it off by asking them how their weekend was and how you know miserable it is for Monday and I wasn't prepared for it and yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and they like... There were some weird pauses in the conversation and they tried to con- con- like contribute and then it dawned on me that it wasn't actually Monday. Yeah. So then I had to explain that it was my Monday. That is awkward. It's rough. But you know what's going to solve it? This this spotted cow I'm drinking. Very very excited for it. So which is not available in like, that's the one that's only available in Wisconsin, right? Only in Wisconsin, yep. Yeah, yep. so you, you brought it back. Well, we, Michael really loves it, so whenever we go to Wisconsin, we buy a case. Nice. Yeah. I, on my way back from the cities, well, before I left the cities, Sam threw some Minnesota beers uh, in with my Minnesota wine birthday care package. Oh, you had a care package? Well, it was a box of wine with some beers thrown in it. So, yeah. <laughs> were, they her awesome, le- were they her leftover beers, her refrigerator beers? No, these were beers that we took on the boat and then didn't drink. I think she just took them off the dining room table and talked, tucked them in. Ooh. But this one is Castle Danger Brewery. Yeah, Castle Danger. It's great. 
mm-hmm. were just up there. It's up by Duluth. It's really great. Well, this is called Summer Crush. And like a di- like Minnesota's short summer season, this beer won't be around for long. So it's yeah. felt appropriate in the podcast studio. It's a thousand degrees. I was like, is it really humid over there? Yeah, it was so humid this morning. All my windows were fogged up. Ugh. Weird. What a miserable Monday. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do today? Anything fun and exciting happened to you at work? Well, I watched an interesting video about Community Health Center for the Black Hills and what they are doing for um, the homeless population in the Black Hills. So the, so the answer is no, you did <laughs> nothing. I, and then I put that same awesome video on Facebook and Twitter and then emailed it to the staff. So I feel like that was my whole morning, to be honest. Yeah, women, yeah. women are superheroes. You guys can do all the things. Yeah. And speaking of people who can do all the things. So in my long running tradition of finding an article, so I found us something to talk about or finding an article about something I already wanted to talk about. You also have a knack for for finding articles that are books. They are not articles. They are books. So long. (laughs) This is a long article. (laughs) So much scrolling. So my article is from Glamour. I actually wanted one from the Wall Street Journal on Glennon Doyle, and there was a paywall, and I couldn't find anybody who had that subscription. So Glamour it is. For Glennon Doyle, Self-Care is Not Wearing Makeup or Pants by Michaela McKenzie. And I did not know who Glennon Doyle was. I assumed with a name like Glennon Doyle, he must be a large black man. Turns out she's a tiny white lady who's actually very famous. She's written several books. (laughs) Uh, She is wildly popular. She was a Christian mommy blogger. That's her rise to fame. And then her last book came out and it's called Untamed. And you know me, I don't like things that are popular. True. So I did not, I was not going to read this book. I, like the cover's really pretty. And so I was really kind of drawn to it. And, but like it says author of Love Warrior, like that sounds stupid. And (laughs) I, so I was not going to, and then anyway, it got put on my list by me. I put it on my library list and it came up and she is so interesting. She is so interesting. And her book was very, very good. I listened to it round trip on, um, to the cities and back and does she read it? it? Yes. I finished it by the time I got to Worthington and then I started it over because there were definitely like things that I missed and things I wanted to hear again. So untamed is her third memoir. And I'm just going to give you and our listeners just a, quick crash on her life. So she was bulimic at the age of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, And then she included booze and pills into Mm -hmm. her life. And welcome to to our twenties. Right. At 25, she found herself unexpectedly pregnant. And so in that, and unmarried, unmarried and pregnant. And, And so decided to, uh, keep the baby, ha- get sober, get married, and thus put her on the path to becoming uh, the perfect woman. And so maybe, she. Maybe this is where our past <laughs> diverged. We did not get sober, have a child, and get married. 
Thank God for that. Jeez. I know. Uh, well, it didn't go so well for her, by the way. So she writes her first book about getting sober and her marriage and uh, whatever. And then right after that book comes out, her husband confesses that he has been cheating on her like since the wedding. What? And she was like, it wasn't even that I was so mad about like the infidelity and and like this problem in our marriage. It was more that like he fucking ruined the plot. Like she had written this <laughs> book about her perfect marriage and God damn it, he fucked it up. And so then she spends the next three years like in counseling and trying to put her marriage together. And she wrote the second book, uh, which I believe was the love warrior one. And she's like, okay, I fixed it. I put us back together. It was all for nothing. And she was like, we were miserable, but it doesn't matter. Like she had her career. She had three kids. She has this husband. She has this perfect life. And she is, she's a do-gooder. It's going well. So now she's on a book tour to promote the second book. And into the room walks Abby Wambach, who I, of course, had to look up who that was. I was like, who's Abby? Oh, she's a Olympic soccer player. Okay. Who was promoting her book. And so Glennon Doyle, the tiny married Christian mommy blogger, falls completely head over heels in love with Abby Wambach. And spends a month trying to figure out what to do and ultimately decides to leave her husband and go create a life with Abby Wambach. And so what? this third book. So wait, 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 back it up, back it up, back it up, back it up. So I'm telling you, there's a lot going on in this book. So this person, this Abby Wambach just like walked into her book signing. Abby Wambach also had a book that she was okay. promoting. So it was an author thing. So it was an author thing. And they just immediately decided that they were going to be soulmates? Yeah, basically. What? And then, so she became very a lesbian? Love at first sight. Well, so Glennon Doyle always kind of had this, oh. like, inkling that she had found women far more compelling than men. But she talks about how women are conditioned to, like, be thin and small and quiet and you don't choose things like your religion and your sexuality and all of these things are just kind of prepackaged for you. And she just kind of went with the flow. And so the third book is talking about becoming untamed and becoming a full realized person and making and choosing all of these things for yourself. So um, this article, she says that her and Abby are married now, right? Yes, they are married. Oh, and lesbians. They, they, what are they doing? They're just so fast. Well, but you're talking about like they met at the beginning of book two and now like book three just came out. So there's years in between here. I mean, she is smart. She creates an interesting lifestyle. So she has, more things to write about on your third memoir of your life. And you're only like, what in your forties, like 40, 43, 44, 45, yeah, something like that. Bravo. That is wild. It, those, so the whole thing was great. And then she tells these stories. She started a nonprofit called together rising and they raise money and then they give money to people on the ground working on really hard things. And she talks about in the book, um, they raised millions of dollars to reunite families at the border. That was interesting. She talks about meeting 
this other woman, this other author named Liz, and she's like, oh, uh, you're incredibly cool. I really love your work. Like, we should be friends. And Glennon's like, I'm not actually a very good friend. I, I will not text you back. And <laughs> it's just easier if we don't do this. But Liz talks her into it, convinces her that they should be friends. And then Liz is staying at her house in this month of like, what do I do? Do I leave my husband? I'm in love with this woman. What does that even mean? And she's like, maybe, like, I'm all alone, but maybe I should ask Liz about it. And that's when I figure out she's talking about Liz Gilbert, like fucking Liz Gilbert, who wrote <laughs> Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> okay. I was like, Elizabeth Warren, who are we talking about? Okay. <laughs> no, Elizabeth. Yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Then she wrote the book about how she was getting ready to marry a man because she had all these immigration troubles. Then she left that man for a woman. Like, I feel like Elizabeth Gilbert might have some advice for you, Glennon. Hmm. And so I'm shouting this in my car as I'm driving and listening. So this woman is fascinating. (laughs) And there's a little bit of like, you know, the book opens with the story about a cheetah in a cage and... Then she does the metaphor about women are in cages. And so some of it's like, oh, it's going to be one of those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of it was fascinating and I highly, highly recommend it. So now I'm telling people like, hey, you seem to be having that uh, trouble with your husband. Maybe you should read this book. And like, mm. maybe you should be, maybe you should become a lesbian. No, but maybe you should leave your husband and not become a martyr and stay with your husband for for the kids, even though, like, you're all miserable. So is she no longer, like, crazy Christian person that tries to shove her family and her faith in people's faces? Is, like, she over that? Well, I don't know what the first two books were like. So I don't know how faith-driven those books were or, like, what particular religion. Okay. She talks in this book – she is very faithful and yeah. talks quite a bit about her faith. And what's funny is she always refers to God as a she. And she does it because then when people are so, like some people get really frustrated and angry and, at, you know, some evangelical church like excommunicated her. And she was like, when we talk, it's just another way that, um, religion has erased women. And if you can't even conceive of a concept of a God that is a, in a woman form, then you're being ridiculous. And she talks about the first story that we're all taught about religion in the Christian faith is Eve and how like if you go for, after what you want, you are damning your family and your ancestors and you ruined life for this man. And that kind of is a theme throughout her book as well. Well, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So that's the thing. I will tell well, you. Well, maybe it's Eve and Gloria, even <laughs> Abby, apparently. Um, I, you asked me about this yesterday, I think it was the other day, if I knew Glennon Doyle. And I'm not going to lie. I thought you were talking about two separate people. Like it was Glenn and <laughs> oh, Doyle. And Doyle. <laughs> And I was like, I have no idea who Glenn and Doyle is. <laughs> who are they? Oh, yeah, because I was like, have you read any Glenn and Doyle? And you're like, yeah, I was no. Like, <laughs> I have no idea, but like, those two dudes sound real cool. <laughs> so now we know. Now, now we, we know. know we see her like, so has this made you like want to read more of her books? Well, I'm curious. I really need to talk to somebody else who's read them because I feel like I found her at the <laughs> point in her life where I would really enjoy her. Yeah, and I don't know like if I want to read earlier. Christian parenting books. 
Uh, so I'm going to go and find someone who's read them, but I... That's a good idea. Um, do you think, how does this stack up to Shonda Rhimes's The Year of Yes? Oh, Year of Yes is better. Okay. All right. And I was thinking, I, um, I would also say I really loved Melinda Gates's book. I think that was probably mm-hmm. my top book from last year. And mm-hmm. I would also put that book over this because that had... I think some that was like part memoir, but also there was a little bit more substance and this is mostly memoir, but she does like whenever she has a stat, she backs it up. So I don't want to say like, this isn't girl, wash her face, right? Like there is actual substance to this book and to this woman, but on a, and I do read, I would say memoirs are probably the top. I mean, okay, fine. Generic crime fiction. (laughs) But written by white men, that's my top genre. But then I do read a lot of memoirs. And so I would put this up there definitely with one of the top memoirs I've read. All right. Well, that's interesting. Now I know. Now I know. Now I know. I... If you, hold on, if any of our listeners have read Glennon Doyle or any of her other books or Untamed and any of her other books, uh, tweet me. Like, I'd love to talk to somebody about it because clearly Zach hasn't read it. I haven't read it. They could also text us at 605-215-1043 to give Carmen their feedback on Glenn and Doyle. (laughs) (laughs) I want to piggyback and backtrack a little bit to something you just said earlier, which was that you are in Minneapolis. And so my article for today comes from City Pages. And the title is called Report People Still Live in Minneapolis by Hannah Jones. And so... I got a chuckle out of reading this article and that it was going around mainly because after all the stuff that happened with the murder of George Floyd, the protests that happened here in Minneapolis, you know, everybody had basically decided, including the president, that nobody wants to live here anymore. Um, your your governor, Governor Kristi Noem in South Dakota, mm-hmm. you know, was spending trying South to Dakota's lure money. You away. <laughs> yeah, trying to trying to lure all the people that have already flocked away from South Dakota back to South Dakota. No, she doesn't want you. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, she is right. not looking for you to come back. Yes, yeah, she doesn't want the educated folks. So anyways, you know, they've said that it's crime ridden. People are not going to want to live there anymore. We're defunding the police, right? We're abolishing the police department, which is all hyperbole. And if you really think that we're getting rid of the police department, read, read something. But this article talks about a bunch of people saying that people were leaving Minneapolis for safety, that there was a new migration going to be getting, that this was basically the death uh, of Minneapolis. And Please ask the last person fleeing Minneapolis to turn off the lights. (laughs) Yes. It's funny because they say sources included a priest and several people on the street in South Dakota, which (laughs) I thought was hilarious. But... When push comes to shove, the reality is is people are still trying to move into Minneapolis. Minneapolis is still growing despite all of the conservative fear-mongering that's happened to, quote-unquote, liberal-run cities. Um, people are still trying to move here. And so I thought, you know, it does talk a lot about some of the struggles that businesses have had trying to stay downtown. And I think that is more of my takeaway from this article, that's more of a uh, reaction from COVID and the reality that people are working from home and we have limitations to what industry and businesses are able to do than to the week long (laughs) protest, right? Because all the crazy stuff ended within a week. So Minneapolis has been incredibly calm since that initial week when the National Guard has been brought in. But 
It talks in this article, of course, about conservatives talking about the uprising in the Twin Cities and that it's going to hurt Minneapolis and St. Paul, turn them into ghost towns. Um, but that hasn't happened. The reality is, is that, yes, there have been lots of homes that have been put up for sale in the months of June and July. But we, there are less homes for sale this year than there were in 2019. And even with all those homes being put out on the market, um, sellers are receiving and accepting offers at an average of 100% of their list price, which is a near record for this time, um, if not higher than normal, because of the amount of people um, still, still wanting to move to Minneapolis. And that's something that I've experienced, obviously, living here, is that you know, you were always fearful that everybody was going to leave town, but as soon as a house goes up for sale, it's immediately bought and somebody moves into it. So um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to kind of debunk the the theory or the thought that all of these protests and the rising crime that we're seeing was going to be a, a detractor for people wanting to live here. And as this article points out, it might be for people that want to raise or are raise their children or are conservatives or it says in here big christian folks that want to get out of town sure those people are leaving um but bye well okay i wonder that. this doesn't say specifically um this in this article but i know they've been talking about it in new york that if working from home is going to become more of the norm and you don't have to maybe live that close to your like maybe you bought property based on your commute mm-hmm and if that's not a factor anymore, maybe you would want to move out to the suburbs or you you know, would want to make a different choice. Um, maybe you're tired of being in a 600 square foot apartment and you're like, you know what, I, my job is stable and I want a house now. So, but yeah, I like that it was the, uh, what it was the Minneapolis area realtors that were like, I, this is not something we're seeing. We should run some numbers on that. And in a word, nah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just for context, I mean, Minneapolis is a is a really well laid out city, right? Minneapolis and St. Paul, for that matter, really are like the center of a spoke of a wheel. And so I know lots of people that live downtown and commute out to the suburbs and back in. It's it's not so much because the cities are a great central location to all the fun parks, the best restaurants, the Mall of America, the airport. Minneapolis is a direct hub. And so I know lots of people that do the reverse and work, work down, live downtown, work out in the suburbs and come back. So I think if you can continue to work from home and live in the city that you want to with all the amenities, it's, it's great. They talk about since 2010, the census, the population of Minnesota has grown from 382,000 people to an estimated almost 436,000 people in 2009, so a 7% increase in a decade. So the city is booming. So I just continue to move here. And all of you people that want to leave and go to South Dakota, please do it so we can get some like fun neighbors that move in next to us. Right. That's a good point. Good point. Good point. Um, I need another beer. All right. Okay, I'm back. So last week on the pod, <laughs> I told you that um, one of my girl crushes was Connie Schultz. Mm-hmm. This week I have a new one. Okay. Is it Amy it's, or it's Abby? Not, What's her name is? Abby Wambach? She's already taken, Carmen. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, considering okay. I had to look up what sport she played. Um, 
No, that, but uh, actually, I, I shouldn't say that because I had to look up some more information about Katie Porter, who mm. I now need to know everything about. So I started with an article in L called Being Every Woman is Katie Porter's Superpower by Kayla Webley Adler. And Katie Porter is just fucking great. So she is a single mom uh, in the House of Representatives. This is her first... Um, first term. Term, thank you. And uh, But now she's like Zooming with this reporter... The reporter said, never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd speak with a member of Congress while unshowered, makeup-free, and in sweatpants, but here we are. At this <laughs> moment, we are not a reporter and a politician, but two women who find themselves in the middle of an unprecedented global pandemic, and clearly one of us needs a minute. Mm-hmm. And so Katie Porter just needs to rant a little bit. And frankly, <laughs> she's a bit miffed with staffers who schedule back-to-back meetings, failing to recognize that, you know what, maybe she also needs a pee break. And uh, <laughs> so there are these stunning photographs of Katie Porter all dressed up. That's what I was going to say. I, the, the, the photos are They're so stunning. beautiful. Yeah. They're just so and like pretty weird, uh, weirdly taken through plate routes window. I don't know. It's just yeah. the whole it's really, really well done. The whole thing is great. So while she's doing this interview, however, she pulls on her Elizabeth Warren presidential hoodie. (laughs) I hope Joe's hoodies are as cozy as this. (laughs) Pops in her AirPods to drown out her kids. And then like, boom, let's get started. So she's just, I want to say darling, but that's not the right word. Like she's, she's a single mom who's in Congress. Like she's fucking busy. And she says in here at one point, I just want to scream at people like, my life does not look like yours. (laughs) Uh, She talks about how, you know, like a lot of people in Congress and and Senate, congressional body as a whole, are quite wealthy. And she is not. Uh, She didn't get elected because she was rich and able to self-fund. She's about 15 years younger than the average member. And I feel like... She's the only single mom, right? With young, yeah, the only single mom of young children in Congress. So she is busy. (laughs) And she talks about a colleague who didn't like reply to a question on her last call uh, because he was riding his Peloton and had to get off because he was out of breath. Like (laughs) a $2,000 exercise bike. Uh, she talks about how there's a couple women in Congress who all have the same like $99 dress hmm. because they just don't like they make money, but they don't make that much money. No, they do not make and, enough money. No, for that. Anyway, she just she goes through and they talk about one of um, what she's really famous for is taking down really powerful people uh, in Mm -hmm. a really simple way. And it says somewhere in here, this is also a very long article, um, that no communication comes out of her office um, over an eighth grade level. It's brilliant. So, um, and that is part of like the every woman thing. Like she wants to make sure that she gets the information across to the people who need it essentially and so the example one of the she talks about jp morgan chase and 
she pulls out this whiteboard and it's just brilliant. And so she breaks down all of the math because she's an attorney, right? That's mm-hmm. what she did beforehand. So she's quite a skilled. Yeah, she's real good. Uh, interrogator, let's call her. And so she is like, hey, do you think that, you know, like people can survive on the money that you're paying them? And uh, they're like, uh, yeah, we think so. And she's like, great, I did the math. And here, and so she's like, okay, six fifty an hour times 40 hours a week as up to this. And then after tax, it's this. And then there's take-home pay, rent, utilities, car payment, <laughs> car payment for a 2008 car, gas, uh, USDA, USDA low-cost food. And then you're already negative $77 before you have phone and after school childcare. And so what she found out was like, okay, on average, your employees make negative 567 per month. What are you going to do about that? She badgered the guy talking about coronavirus tests. Yeah. Fear of these costs is going to keep people from getting tested. And um, so are you going to pay for them? And he's like, well, I can't say that we're going to do, uh, you know, we're going to make sure that everyone can get the care that they need. And she's like, no, not good enough. And they go back and forth. And he's like, well, what I was trying to say is that CDC is working with HHS now to see how we operationalize. Nope. People are not impacted. Okay. They are sick and they are laid off. They are hurt. They are scared. And so he finally gets to... I think you're an excellent questioner. So my answer is yes. And she was like, excellent. And then she makes sure that everyone in America heard that they are eligible for free testing. So you get a free coronavirus test. You can thank Katie Porter. This, this article is amazing. Katie Porter is amazing. She, I mean, if you want the, the fastest crash course in her, go watch her clips on YouTube. She is just as brilliant, if not I think even more effective than Elizabeth Warren taking these powerful, especially banking. I think she's on the the banking committee or the finance committee in the house. It is just masterful and she is incredibly relatable, which I think makes her so great. So there's a couple of like just lines in this article that make her so endearing because again, I think her superpower is that she's incredibly relatable because she's a regular person that just happens to find herself in extraordinary circumstances but she talks about loving that Nancy Pelosi picture of her strutting out of the White House with their sunglasses on <laughs> looking like a badass. And she goes, I love that photo, but it wasn't lost to me that it turns out that that coat that Nancy was wearing was $3,000. Never in my life will I own a $3,000 coat. Pelosi said that she wore it that day because it was clean. Well, all my laundry could be done and there wouldn't be any item in my closet that costs more than a couple hundred dollars. I just, she is so just practical and clearly again, she is in public service for, for the right reason. You know, she's a single mom. She clearly understands what it takes to, to make a household function and the, the strain, the financial strains that are put on people. She talks about working from home during COVID the reality, the assumptions that people make, she says that somebody told her that she should just print it. And she goes, well, I have a printer, but it's 14 years old. I'm happy to show it to you. She says, angling her camera so I can see it. It's a gray, it's a bland gray box. Like one of those, the guy beats the shit out of on office space. She goes, do you see it? It was a gift. When my son was born, my mother gave it to me. 
Then she goes, another one of her colleagues asked her to adjust her monitor. She goes, no, I can't. I don't have a desktop computer. I don't have space for one. I have got three kids in California. We don't have extra rooms full of shit. They say, how's your home office setup going? And she responds back, it's my kitchen, okay? Uh, I mean, she is just saying what, how all of us feel and like trying to navigate this COVID reality and all of the strains that are put on her from her career to um, being away from home to being a mother. She's just phenomenal. She's so good. And I'm not going to be surprised if she doesn't go somewhere much farther than she is currently. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. So you mentioned Elizabeth Warren, who I love. Elizabeth Warren was her law school professor and mentor. And so Elizabeth Warren is actually quoted in this article. And then Katie Porter has three kids, the youngest of whom she named Betsy after Elizabeth Warren. That's amazing. One of the other pictures in this article is her with an iced coffee wearing a mask holding a blanket and a pillow preparing for a late night in congress well and that dress is stunning on her everything about it's great (laughs) she's standing there like take the fucking picture already i am busy my (laughs) shoes hurt oh it's so great i just so then once i read this i had to go like her facebook page and like her campaign page and then watch a video and i highly recommend everyone get to know katie porter because this will not be the last time you hear about her oh and she's from iowa so little midwest i also like the fact that she like didn't isn't this article where she talks about the fact that she like stepped in dog shit and then like picked (laughs) up her shoe and showed it and was like look none of my colleagues would say i they did something like this doesn't she do that yes (laughs) (laughs) she shows it to the reporter (laughs) <laughs> She's like, we've all done this. This is reality. Uh, uh, yeah, and there's a picture of her young Katie at the Iowa 4-H conference. Just, yeah, just super I can't. Cute. I can't wait for Katie to become president because she's going to be great. And oh, yeah. um, I I don't want to interrupt. I mean, I do want to interrupt you. I interrupted you, but. I did want to talk to you about the part where she she tried to look because Zach um, has worked with several female candidates, mm-hmm. and there's a section here toward the end where she tried to look the part of fancy lady running for Congress <laughs> because someone told her that pulling her hair back in a ponytail every day like wouldn't get her elected, so yeah. he sent her for a haircut, and uh, then she had really curly hair, and so she had to spend all of this time trying to straighten her hair. And why do I have to have straight hair to help the American people? So she ditched that person and got a new campaign manager who immediately went to the salon and got her hair all chopped off. And they're like, oh, awesome. Let's do this. <laughs> I had a stand. I had a candidate where I chopped all of her hair off. <laughs> it was just easier. You know, Something about Katie reminds me an awful lot of Heidi Heidkamp. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of why she's endearing. She's kind of no frills. She like cuts through the bullshit really fast. I mean, the difference would be, of course, that Katie lives in California and is, you know, more progressive than Heidi is. But I think like their approach, their style, um, she just reminds me a lot of of Heidi. Just, just really no nonsense. Yeah, and just like getting stuff done and she doesn't have time to make sure that her clothes are really fancy and her hair's done. 
because there's a lot of things that need fixing and you just have to get to work. So that's great. Somebody who wants to put in more work is President Donald Trump um, because, of course, they requested an additional debate, an pre- additional presidential debate. There's an article in CNN called Debate Commission Pushes Back on Trump Campaign's Request for an early de- Earlier Debate by Dan Merica. Dan Merica. What a good name. Dan Merica, yeah. Um, America. America. And so the thing that I find interesting about this piece in particular was, of course, that the Trump campaign requested a fourth debate to be added earlier in the cycle because um, really the first debate doesn't happen until September, towards the end of September. And the Trump campaign wanted to add one in the early weeks of the early, early weeks of September, maybe even the end of August. Because, you know, there are going to be so many people that vote absentee. And so they want to make sure that they get out there and have a chance to speak to voters before before they start casting their bullet ballots. Of course, the commission came back and said that in 2016, the debate schedule is almost identical and only 0.0069% of the electorate had voted before the first debate happened. Again, we're talking September when the first debate typically is held the middle to end of September. But the part about this that I find incredibly fascinating is just like breaking down the politics of it. Usually if you are an incumbent or you believe that you are in a position of strength heading into an election, the last thing on the entire face of the planet you want to do is give yourself more exposure, right? You want to limit the opportunity for you to make a a misstep, to, to put your foot in your mouth and to, to cause harm. And clearly the Trump campaign, specifically Rudy Giuliani, who spoke on behalf of the Trump campaign to the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates, they believe they are, they're incredibly vulnerable, aka they're going to lose. And so they want as many debates as they possibly can. This is a typical like challenger challenging an incumbent. What they want is to debate them 500 times and the person who is running the strongest wants to debate zero times. Now, Joe Biden and his team have, <laughs> you know, agreed to the traditional three presidential debates, the one vice president debate. So they're falling lockstep with what traditionally has been done. But I just found it fascinating that the Trump campaign is asking for more presidential debates and very much acting from a, a position of weakness, not strength. Because they also shouldn't want Trump debating any more than he already is going to. So, I mean, it's a short like and sweet article. Be, but. Can we just have maybe one Trump-Biden debate and then more Kamala Pence debates? If I got to weigh in on this decision, that's what I would pick. Sure. I mean, maybe that'd work. Maybe they'd like that. I mean, that's probably a smarter... That's probably a smarter trajectory for both campaigns to, to have <laughs> their VPs out there talking. They're probably they're both more eloquent and less likely to to cause missteps. But so, did you speaking of the vice presidential debate? Did you hear slash read that uh, Christy Nome is helping uh, Mike Pence prepare for the debate? Well, I'm sure she's trying to fix her oops and trying to kick Mike Pence off the ticket. So she's being a huge kiss ass and is trying to act like she's a a Mike Pence team player. But the part that's interesting about that to me 
is there are so many women, not so many, there are quite a few Republican women, especially elected office holders, that are so much more talented and strategic than Christy Nome is, especially when it comes to debating and public speaking, that to think that Christy Nome is going to potentially be the stand-in and pretend or play a role as Kamala Harris is laughable. And I appreciate them, again, ill-preparing their candidate. They need somebody like Nikki Haley would be a 10 times better um, stand-in for a Kamala Harris type, a Condoleezza Rice. I mean, there are so many more. Well, um, I mean, and you and I have seen Christy Noem debate. Yes, she's not good. So many times. I mean, every couple years since 2010. So that's actually really, that's several times. I mean, one of the highlights no, of my 10, life, regardless, one of the highlights of my life is that I had a candidate who had a debate performance against Christy Nome that actually like blew her out of the water and we blindsided her and they did not, she did not know how to, how to function. And so while we did lose that race, I, that is a high you won point. The debate. We won that debate and they were not prepared. And so the thought that if little old me could prepare a candidate to blindside Christy Nome, the fact that she's helped prepping a president <laughs> vice presidential debate is amazing. Well, I read one article that said she volunteered to help. And then sure. in the Hill today, it said the campaign recruited Christy Nome to help him prepare. So either <sighs> way, uh, she's, she, I don't think is like you said, the appropriate stand-in for Kamala. It's interesting, but we're at least going to have the typical three presidential debates and the one vice president debate, which will happen in, I believe, the middle to beginning of October is when the VP debate usually is. So, Well, we'll be sure to tell everyone about it. Yes, we will. I'm ready to go with my parting thought. Okay, I'm, I'm prepared. So this was a suggestion from my sister, and I thought it was such a good one that I would like everyone to go give blood if you were eligible. No, not everyone is eligible mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. But should you be eligible and should you choose to accept this challenge, the Red Cross often gives you presents. Since I started a new dedication to giving blood, I've received several Amazon gift cards and a shirt. And if you give blood before September 3rd, they are going to check your blood for coronavirus antibodies and give you a $5 Amazon gift card. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I have my appointment already set up. Uh, The Red Cross has a really fantastic app um, that you can download and it'll give you all the blood drives in your area and you can schedule from there. And I highly recommend it. Well, that's lovely. That allows me to change my parting thought to... Another important reason why you should vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris this year is because they have committed to lifting the federal ban on gay people donating blood. Oh, no Uh, way. That's awesome. Yeah. Many people don't know that if you are gay, you are banned from donating blood, even though it's desperately needed. I think it's just gay men. Yes, it's just gay men. That's why I didn't say lesbians. Sorry. Um, Sorry. And so now it's supposedly they've done it. You can donate if you haven't had sex with anybody within three months. But let's all, or was it a year? It's either a year or three months. Maybe they did it, whatever it is. 
the part that's annoying about it is they check every blood donation for HIV or AIDS, mm-hmm. which they is the reason they quote unquote say gay people, gay men cannot donate any blood, but they check Carmen's blood for HIV and AIDS. Um, they check everybody's blood. So they could just throw away blood if that, if that happens to be the case. But the reality is they're homophobic and miserable. And it is why I do not donate blood out of principle, even though I could lie because the whole process and the red cross are homophobic. And if the red cross really cared about it, they too could step up to the plate and, become strong opponents of the federal ban on gays donating blood so suck it red cross uh wasn't it andy cohen who yeah he recently did yeah well Um, because he had covid and wanted to do antibodies and they wouldn't accept his antibodies because he's gay so rude 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 that's what Mm -hmm. that is but yes, donating blood is important, and you should help the people. If you can do it, you should do it. But also, fuck those fuckers. Vote for Joe Biden. And on that note, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Don't forget to like our posts and send us text messages. And if you want fuck those fuckers uh, to be associated with your business, you can also sponsor our point podcast. Well... They get with Hey, get. we're honest. We we're, un- we're unpredictable. I can't promise I won't say something worse than that. So <laughs> it just it is what it is. I can't help That's it. That's right. Um, I, I mean, we're we tell you you know what you're in for. They do. I hope maybe- all these people, all of these people, I mean, are our loyal listeners. Enjoyed the fact that we finally did an evening quote unquote ep- episode. Well, I mean afternoon and beer beer time is appropriate. Yes, it's beer time. I hope they're happy. We'll just call it a cocktails episode. Oh, a cocktails episode. Oh, oh, all right. Oh. Okay. okay. Well, have the rest of your evening. All right, you too. Bye. Thank you for listening to Our Point. To stay up to date and for links of the articles that we discussed in this podcast, join us on Facebook and Twitter at Our Point Podcast. If you have articles that you would like us to discuss, feel free to tag us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at ourpointpodcast at gmail.com.